Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today on my first concert. Just just curious. How many rehearsals did you guys have back in the day for, for these shows? Like with the Righteous Brothers. Yeah, for we, example. Like- we would re- uh, rehearse in the afternoon, probably, and then clear, you know, on the stage that we we're going to play on and run through the things and just go through a couple, couple tunes, probably intros and outros, and then you'd be reading the show. You know, and they were all done... Very professional, man. These, you know, manuscript. There wasn't any copy machine. These are all handwritten, beautiful charts. Did you have roadies setting up your equipment? No, not no. <laughs> that was until <laughs> later. <dude. laughs> Welcome back to my first concert. Dave Lee here with uh, Davide Razo. He is our producer and uh, always with us here every week as we get ready to record another session today. A very special one. Billy Peterson's with us. And uh, Billy, uh, one of the best bass players in the world. And it's, it's Billy hasn't said that. It's people around him that have said that. And so we're looking forward to our conversation with him. Brought to you today by uh, your friends at the Minnesota Propane Association. By Aquarius Home Services, we're in the Aquarius Home Services studios. By UCARE, also by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, a lot of things happening out there, and by StarBank.net. Uh, gosh, Billy, great to have you in. Thanks for taking the time. Well, it's good to be here, Dave. Boy, what a, what a, what a surprise, man. This is great. Davide, my old buddies. Jeepers. Hey, Billy. Hi, guys. Yeah, and of course, uh, musical history, and I knew you met your mom years ago, who, of course, is, continues to be prominently mentioned here, yeah. particularly among jazz musicians, but more than that, she touched a lot of lives in all sorts of venues, even non-musical, because she was on the radio for so many years. She sure was, yeah. Back, like, we were we were just talking before the podcast, back back in the 50s when I was raised in kind of a recording studio environment, it was all live musicians where you were for years at WCCO, you know. That same big building, I think it's the big recording studios, still there. Still in there. In that building, yeah. Right on the corner of <laughs> 7th and 2nd. Yeah, you know, I... Uh, before we get too far, it's called My First Concert. Billy, this is challenging for someone like you because you were playing concerts at, as a young kid, but do you remember what might have been the first concert that you attended as maybe just a spectator or a fan? Or The, the one I re- really remember, and I had been playing you know, with Willie, my father's orchestra at this time, but Jimi Hendrix came to town. Oh, my. And Jimmy came to town in 1968 and played the old Minneapolis Auditorium. And uh, I went to that concert, and I, I remember that. But like, I, like we were talking earlier, Dave, uh, I had done so many shows with my father, and I went, I went to another show uh, with him. And you said, well, it can't be with your dad or anything. But that Jimi Hendrix, I went on my own because I didn't <laughs> want to take my dad to that. Right? <laughs> Did he light his guitar on fire on that one? Oh, man, he sat in front. Uh, he had, I'll, I'll never forget it. He had 13 Sun amplifiers and like seven Marshall amplifiers. And in those days, they didn't have a, a, P, a PA system. They'd sing and they'd play through this stack of, of uh, 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 amplifiers. Yeah. 
Not like today, where you see like uh, hundred marshals stacked up and they're all empty. You know that, right? They're all empty. <laughs> just yeah, they're playing through one. You know, they get the best. Sound. Yeah, because David, you're the engineer. You know how they do that stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow, Jimi Hendrix, man. That was yeah. He was. Well, it was great. I mean, he, that was his old band with Mitch Mitchell and Noel Redding. Uh, you know, before he, he went over to. Uh, the Electric Ladyland band a little bit later. So that that was the band that recorded Fire and uh, all those early Hendrix records that broke him after, you know, he had been out with the Isley Brothers before that. Jimmy and then he broke out on, on his own. And 68, I remember bringing the record. Uh, was it was the record Fire, David? Or, or what? Uh, oh, Are oh. You Experienced? That was it, I think. Yep. Back in the 67 and... and Hendrix hadn't hit here at all, but I was out in L.A. in 67 with my, my parents at my cousin's house, and they were listening to Hendrix. And I said, this is this is cool. This stuff is so cool. You know, <laughs> Axis, Bold Love. And I I brought the actual, brought the record back here, and nobody had heard it. I remember playing it down in my mother's basement there in, in Richfield, you know, playing it from all my friends. Saying, Man, what is this? This is cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and prior to that, you saw Sonny without Cher? Yes, Sonny and Cher. Well, my dad, Willie, again, we were talking about Willie Peterson, my father. He contracted many bands in the, in the 50s and 60s on the weekends, and he actually was a contractor that uh, uh, I think it was part of the Aqua Tenniel, Dave, and you, you can check my story on that, yeah. but it was something going that on. Was that huge. Aqua it was Tenniel huge. Was huge, huge in those yeah. days, yeah. Bands playing all over, and... Uh, uh, actually, Sonny and Cher were supposed to come to town. It was a big deal downtown. And uh, I went with my father, and Cher was actually pregnant with, I think, her daughter, you know, or, or I think she had one, one child. Yeah, Chastity was Chastity, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And this, you, again, check my story. I, we did figure out the year, though. I think it was 65, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so I went to that show with him, and then uh, he was the contractor, and uh, Leo Fine was, uh, or Elliot Fine. Elliot and Leo were, were brothers, and they had music stores, but uh, Elliot Fine was uh, with the symphony orchestra back in those days, and he was also a good crossover pop jazz drummer, and he could read anything. So those shows were all written out. You know, they'd bring maybe, I think they brought a, a drummer on that maybe, or a, or a, or a, a, a a conductor, and then they would hire bands, and that's that was the way things were done in those days. There wasn't big venues to play like now. There's all these oh, yeah. uh, tremendous venues, and you played them. them. Yeah, you'd either play in a in a high school gymnasium, or or you know, or a armory. Or something like that. But it's kind of, uh, how was it though? I mean, you're you're watching your dad perform with it, at, arguably in 65, Sonny Sure, one of the hottest items on the yeah. charts. I mean, as a kid, did you even recognize what well, was going on? Or? I kind of did because, well, those guys that made those records, you got to remember, are all studio, part of the wrecking crew, all the studio yeah. guys. See, so they didn't, they sat out in LA and made all these records or New York, right? They wouldn't go. They wouldn't go on the road. So they they do pickup bands. Like I said, they maybe take a drummer, somebody, buddy that knew the charts and could make the bands. But they could pick up musicians in, in most major towns that that could fulfill that slot to, to perform for these guys. Because you know they wouldn't get Hal Blaine to go or Carol Kay, the per people that played on those records. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I was. Uh, I was kind of confounded that, you know, they'd hire my dad to do that. I was like, what? You know? 
but wow, it was the, cool, man. Oh, <laughs> God, what memories. Well, there's so much to talk about, Billy, uh, whether it be Bob Dylan or a long time with Steve Miller Band and on and on the list goes, Carlos Santana. I can think of a lot of people I'm going to ask you about here Gee. in a minute when we come back. But uh, uh, Billy Peterson's with us, an accomplished musician, a great bass player, but someone who can play every instrument. Again, so we're going to ask him about that whole preparation as a youngster. Hey, uh, uh, thanks to the folks that make this possible. And, of course, the Minnesota Propane Association has uh, done a lot of interesting things. And a great education is waiting for you at their website at propane.com. There's a lot of things you need to know about the environment and what they're doing. But one of the things that we've talked about are power outages at your home or business. We experienced some of those this summer, as you know. Well, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, you may not know much much about them, but they've issued their highest alert ever. And so the Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator will ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, the same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home with on-site stored energy independent of the grid. Installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business will also reduce the size and cost of a generator as well. Imagine running all your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. Reliable, affordable, safe, it's propane. It's the energy for all of us, for everyone. But I would find out more. There's a lot of fascinating information waiting for you about generators that we're talking about and propane appliances, but much more too. Just go to propane.com. Uh, Billy, so many things in your career, but let's go back to those early days um, because you were on national commercials as a young kid, weren't you? Gosh, who told you that, Div? Well, I, I, the jingle business was fascinating to me. And it was, you know, I, for years when, when I was on, I, was, I said, we need to bring these great jingles back. But you're a young kid and you're performing and people are hearing you. And, and I'm sure you don't even know how many people probably heard you back in the day, but radio was it, man. Radio was like we said before. Radio was the mecca of the industry, and then in those days, right in this very building, in the big studio here, uh, in the old days, it was called K Bank. This studio, and I don't know. Do you know that, Dave? That the K Bank was run by uh, one of the greatest engineers that ended up recording Thriller for Michael Jackson, and uh, um, he, I think, bought the studio. And I wish Steve was here, the guy that owns the studio now. In nineteen. 19- 56 or 7. And so in th- the late late 50s and early 60s, the guy that, uh, Bruce Swadeen is his name, and you can look him up. Uh, he, been, I think he was an engineer on Oscar Peterson's records, and he also was the engineer on Thriller. Huge, uh, great engineer, man. And, and he originated here back in the 50s. So I used to sing commercials in this building with my father. And uh, he was contracted again to write different jingles for different people, man. And so I remember singing with my sister Linda in this building in, in the 50s. And, and my mother and father were very active here. Yeah, so, that's uh, so. I mean, they just dragged me along. You say you're singing on this, you know? <laughs> you couldn't even get nervous. You no, didn't know what, like, what am I doing? Okay. Oh, you know? wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we're in, we're recording in South Minneapolis, historic uh, building here that we've chatted about uh, before. So you get an early taste of, of of that. When was the first time you performed though in front of a crowd? I mean, you performed in front of thousands of people, whether it be with Steve Miller or whoever. But uh, do you remember yeah. that first cut? Did you ever? Uh, what was that? Oh gosh, well I think 
again, the business in those days in their 60s was contracted. Okay, there's a another great contractor that I worked for a lot in the old days. And Dave, maybe you'll re- you remember this guy's name, Jack Gillespie. Jack Gillespie put together bands and, and shows and concerts. So anyway, Jack is a good friend of my parents, and Jack gets a call from the Righteous Brothers, right? This is 67 or something like that. When they're, they, well, they're at their peak. Yeah, and they don't have a band, right? So I have this big, you know, beat, uh, 28 amp peg, great big amp, and I can read music because I, I, I just went through being able to do that. You know, I took drum lessons from, like I said, Elliot Fine and, and, and organ lessons from Ernie Garvin, who was on, also on uh, WCCO radio. And so I could read music and I, could, I had a feel for rock and roll. And of course, I was raised with my parents being jazz musicians, but I also grew up, grew up playing all that R&B and, and rock and all that stuff. So I could, I could actually fill the bill and do, do these shows. So that, that was 1967, I think. And uh, I got contracted to go in front of a bunch of people. But again, we were talking about venues. There wasn't any great venues, high school auditoriums per se and uh, uh armories and whatnot. It wasn't like now, you know, all the yeah. clear channel venues and these beautiful places to play, man. These were terrible places for acoustics, <laughs> you know, but the people came out, man, you know, and so, and, and that's how I got that, that gig with the Righteous Brothers. It was just being contracted and being in a, around here in this area. So then I do these little tours around in the area and that's, that's wow. the way the business was. Again, you know, the Wrecking Crew played on those records. You're not getting Carol Kay and 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 Steve Cropper or all these guys to come out of L.A. or Nashville or wherever um, to go on the road. So again, just logistically and cost-wise, they hire musicians out of out of uh, the the huge towns. You know, no no problem. What was that? Like? Was it fun? Yeah. It, oh man, that was an eye. You're 16 years old and you're playing with the big. Pop group like their, yeah. you know, what was their hit? Uh, you lost yep. that love and feeling. Was you that? Lost, that's, was that? That's what it is. Oh yeah. god! Yeah, we were torn behind that record. Or yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, the, the, and so and I think he had, you know, those guys would pick up different guys in different sections of the country when they travel. They wouldn't take like like you know, of course, Steve Miller. We all traveled with that band, but uh, they pick up different people. It was a different time, you know, and guys could actually read a show. You know, now they. You know, to get guys to do that and play that kind of music, or they can do it, but it's uh, um, it's it was much more com- commonplace, I think, in the old days. Well, I bet you days. that really made you appreciate maybe more than most the arenas that you eventually would play in. I mean, you 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 started down there and played all all those venues that weren't very; uh, they were just kind of there, uh, and then all of a sudden, boom! You're playing these big venues across the world. I used to do that, and I, I, I'd also play like the state theater where there would be Pippin would come through town, and I could read shows, and I could play upright bass. And so I, I'd do stuff like that, and that, that would be like the audiences I, I'd play for. Uh, I was a jack of all trades, man, you know, but I, of course I loved jazz. That was my main interest. And my parents both, you know, they, they both nurtured that in me, but in order to make a living being a musician you had to play every genre of music and and know it well just just curious how many rehearsals did you guys have back in the day for, for these shows like with the righteous brothers yeah for we, example like- we would re, uh rehearse in the afternoon probably and then clear you know on the stage that we we're going to play on 
and run through the things and just go through a couple couple tunes, probably intros and outros, and then you'd be reading the show. You know, and they were all done very professional, man. These, you know, man, you said there wasn't any copy machine. These are all handwritten, dutiful charts. Did you have roadies setting up your equipment? No, not no. <laughs> that was until later. <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have. No, I slept in that B one twenty five amp myself, man. <laughs> We're talking with Billy Peterson here on um, my first concert. Available on Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to have you subscribe. Uh, more with Billy. In fact, I'm going to ask him about digital tape. We take that for granted. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, Billy will clear this out. If he was one of the first ever to record on what 3M came up with called digital tape way back when. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I do want to talk about uh, getting out to the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters and seeing uh, the story of the Four Seasons. Uh, it is getting rave reviews, as you know, and it is uh, Michael Brindisi has taken a very special liking to this himself. He's, pro- he's produced so many. And this one's kind of close to his heart. Uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, of course. Uh, uh, the story is is dramatic. Uh, music is fabulous, as you can imagine. Uh, but it has really got kind of Michael's heart over there. And it's the Jersey Boys is what I'm talking about. But I've mentioned this before. Michael grew up in Philadelphia and was singing a cappella in those streetlights. And you'll, that's kind of the poster you'll see of the Jersey Boys. And so this is kind of a little bit, of, in a way, uh, his life as well. But it, it's all about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. It's a great, uh, great story. So whether it's Big Girls Don't Cry or Walk Like a Man or Oh, What a Night, these are all songs you'll know. The crowds have been fabulous. It's still going on strong. I'd get tickets for it by simply going to ChanhassenDT.com. They're always good out there. The meals are terrific, but the, the evening is a great, great night to go out and enjoy some music. And also, they have the Chanhassen Dinner Theater Music Concert Series. You look that up on their website, and all sorts of bands are showing up there in these small venues. I just had a, um, a friends that buzzed me last week about uh, the show that they saw uh, and how they hadn't been there. It was their first time, and they're just going crazy. I said, well, you got to go to more shows because the sound in there is terrific, too. Anyway, ChanhassenDT.com will take care of all of that and get out there and see some of these shows. Well, with us is a guy that's performed a lot of shows and a lot of venues and a lot of uh, genres of music. And he is Billy Peterson, very talented. And, and, and Davide, you know, I, I don't want to embarrass him, but we both know that he's referred to as one of the best bass players uh, maybe in the world. And that's pretty I, impressive. I think so. Oh, boy, you guys. Well, you <laughs> I'll give you that five bucks. Uh, but you didn't, you didn't do stand-up bass with Steve Miller. You, you had the bass guitar going I there. played bass guitar. Uh, I don't know if I ever recorded with Steve on Upright. I don't think so. It was all, all electric stuff in those days. Yeah. So how did the how did the well before I get to that, Billy? Yeah. Am I right? When 3M came up with this mm. digital tape, you were one of the first, if not the first, to record on that. Is that yes, true? Yes, that's true. That was over at Sound Eighty, and Herb Pilhoffer was, um, you know, real tight with the 3M people who were great, uh, breaking ground with with all this new digital tape. And when it came out. We had the first digital. We don't like. I'm. I, I'm just. I'm a musician. It wasn't me. I'm part in in the studio, and this this machine comes in, and it's a it's a digital re- recording machine from uh, 3M, and so then we started recording on that. And I remember, ooh, it you know the sound of early days was with Davide. I don't know if you remember. It was wasn't. Good. I do. <laughs> I do. It wasn't good. So uh, you know we, but but they kept getting it better and better and better, of course, and, you know, the rest is history. But, yeah, they, we, we recorded uh, 
I was probably one of the first guys to, it had to be, because I was part of that rhythm session, uh, Herb Pillhoffer's studio back. It was either Jimmy Johnson, who's still with James Taylor. He and I were doing all the recording sessions in those days for Herb. And uh, the, Herb was in, talking to 3M all the time. He, he was a big gear guy, man. He wanted the most modern gear, and he, he wanted the cutting-edge technology to be coming through the studio. So, voila, there's, uh, there you have it. Yeah. So, and it, it, wow. It, yeah, and he got all the, the new stuff that 3, 3M came out with, and I just happened to be, you know, in the same place. I was along for the ride. So <laughs> I just, you know, what a ride, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, it changed a, things. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, all this stuff going on. I mean, uh, digital tape. I mean, uh, and, and actually, the 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 world, you know, class recording uh, equipment was there. So Sound Eighty did a lot of great recordings in those days, right here in Minneapolis. Yeah. So how many years was Steve Miller, and how did that whole thing happen? Ooh, Steve Miller band. All right. <laughs> so Ben Sidron. Yeah. who is a great keyboard player and one of my dearest friends to this day for the last 45 years, was contracted by Steve Miller to do one last record for Capitol Records, okay? And uh, this was 1987, 86, 87. So Ben, he says, wow, you know, uh, uh, let me predecessor it with, uh, originally, Steve Miller went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, okay? So Ben Sidron... Steve Miller, Boz Skaggs, and and they were all in the same band together. Wow. Yeah, and the Miller Goldberg Blues Band was, uh, I think, the original band that spawned the Steve Miller Band out of Madison. So, but anyway, that's let me. I just put the show and or the story in perspective. So this was sixty four, five maybe, because Ben. Ben is Ben is eighty now, and and Dylan is eighty two. I know because he's ten years older than me, you know. And I'm I, I can put it in perspective. It's like actual that. Steve's birthday today. Is it Steve's birthday today? Happy birthday, Steve! 80. You old dog, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's in great shape, man. He's still out performing. He's doing great, man. Uh, anyway, back we're talking about your boss. Uh, so he's Ben Sidron is contracted by Steve. To do this last record, well, Steve didn't know us, but Ben, I was in Ben's band, right? So, Steve, Steve says to Ben, he says, "I, th- I want to do this bluesy kind of cool little jazzy bluesy record that had nothing to do with any of the greatest hits that l- later on came out while we were doing this other record called Born to Be Blue." You historians, you can look that up, man. And I was contracted by Ben to do Born to Be Blue with my brother Ricky, who's on that record. I think my brother Paul might be on that record too. So that's how I got the gig with Steve. Well, then Steve, we we did this record, and he loved the band. Of course, we we had great musicians: Gordy Gordy uh, Knutson on drums, local drummer. And so, Steve gets it in his head that he wants to go back out. And this is 1988. Okay, now if you guys do your homework again, history. So here we go. We go out on this little bluesy, jazzy, really cool tour. Uh, the lighting director, uh, Chaz Harrington. He was with Madonna before that, but he jumped over with us. Great. He had the stage lit, lit beautiful, all these colors and all this stuff. Well, so we get out in the middle of the tour. It's 1988 with, with that band, with, with Ben's band, right? And Ricky's on it, Ben, and, and uh, myself, Gordy, and uh, uh, I think Bob Malik, great saxophone player. And so we're, we're out playing in the middle of this tour, and there's nobody over. We're all 
in our 30s, there's nobody over 22 or 3 years old in, in, in the audience. So I'll never forget it, man. We were playing somewhere out behind the wrong, this wrong record. But Dave, you'll remember this. The, the, the advent of the classic rock format came out on FM radio. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we're out. And, and we're in front of an audience, and man, there's nobody are, you know, they don't know how old we are because they, what happened is the classic rock format came out and they were playing the greatest hits from Steve Miller Band 24 7 on rotation. So everybody, these kids, they didn't know who, who we were, how old we were. We've been around all this time. So here we are, and there was no cell phones in those days, you know, and, and stuff. So we, we're doing two, three nights out on the road with, with this great band, and we're killing it, you know, playing all this hip stuff. But it's the wrong stuff to kids have been. <laughs> so we're out touring behind the wrong record, right? So Steve says, I said, and I'll never forget, he says, we used to go back and grab a, you know, have a drink, you know, after a song or something. We'd go back. Steve said, what the heck's going on? He, he comes back, you know, back by the drum riser. He says, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on. I said, you got to call me. There's nobody. These are a kid's age, you know, in our audience, you know. <laughs> So we had to totally revamp, and, and Gordy and all, all the musicians, we had to learn all the greatest hits, which we've, we'd heard, you know, it had been 10 years before. We weren't any part of that band that had recorded those things, mm-hmm. you know. We'd heard them because they were all on pop radio. Steve's, you know, uh, what, he had the biggest hit in the world, Abracadabra, right, 84. And, I mean, The Joker, all that stuff was the early 70s that we didn't have anything to do with. All that stuff. So here's the band, this little ju- you know, a, 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 a blues, bluesy jazz band, and we're out there. Now we got to learn all the greatest hits while we're on the road. So now we're doing two and a half hour sound checks trying to learn the right record to tour behind. And all these people are, and we got it on the DVD or the, uh, uh, yeah, the DVDs you can hear when we're playing all this wrong stuff, and they're hollering "Jungle Love," <laughs> yeah, "Jungle Love," now. You know, <laughs> we're playing all the wrong stuff. They're trying; they're coming out to hear the greatest hits, and we're playing. Uh, I just want a little bit back. <laughs> Steve looks at me like a deer in the headlights. What the heck happened? You know. <laughs> And that relationship, boy, lasted a long time. You're still buddies, as you oh, mentioned. Oh, we're still good friends. Yeah, and, and uh, um, yeah, it. I was with the band until 2010. So what's that? 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Yeah, and we had a long run. I was with what was it? 23, 24 years, something like that. And I think Gordy stayed on. He was with him 35 years, probably. Gordy Canusa just, I think, retired last year or something. Wow. So he was out there since '88 till now. <laughs> for two years ago. Was there a concert that stood out in those years that kind of was uh, quite memorable for whatever reason? Well, I guess the first thing I, I'll shoot, you know, I'm a jam musician, so the first thing I'll shoot from the hip, uh, Lance Armstrong won his sixth Tour de France, okay? And he's dating Cheryl Crow at this time, right? So Lance calls Steve up, or, or management, however they handle that, and uh, so he says, hey, I want you, we want you to play in Austin, uh, Cheryl Crow. You know, he was dating Cheryl Crow in those day, days. And so Lance had one to say, it, unprecedented, yep. if you follow cycling. Yeah, because yep. Greg LeMond lived here in the Twin Cities. Greg is still here, yeah. And yep. well, Greg had won three Tour de France's, but there was, there was I think, three different guys that had won five, Bernardi, No, um, Miguel Linderin, yep. and, and Lance Armstrong. Is that correct? Yes. I, I think. Uh, I think that's right. Bernardino, the yep. French dude. 
And so Lance won six. He says, okay, I'm, I'm, they're throwing me this big party in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. So he calls Steve and, and Cheryl. And, and uh, so we, we got hired to do this show. And so I, I'll never forget it. There was 90,000 people at this show. Oh. And we played right in front of the Capitol. And so, I, David, we'd have to do our homework on what year that was. <laughs> that was years. Uh, and, and, the, I think that was 05. The sixth and then the seventh, no, 04, and then 05, he won his last one. And that was six, he retired. Yeah, was was that number six or seven? How many did he win? He he won seven. Yeah, jeez, unbelievable. So anyway, I'm looking, and Cheryl, you know, we're we're having a great time, and we're backstage and hanging out, and Cheryl Crow, and I'm, and he's dating Cheryl Crow. I said, hey, Cheryl. And I'm looking at her, and she's got like these big eyes. She says, and "I said, I'll never forget. It. We were back. I got pictures of us hanging out, and she's, she's like dating like the greatest athlete in the world, right? And and so there's ninety thousand people, and I said, Cheryl, come on out and sing with us.' And she's going like this. I said, "Are you okay?" <laughs> she says, "I said, she said." I'm scared. I said, <laughs> I said, you're damn Cheryl Crow. We should be opening for you. You know, she had the biggest records in those days. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And so she's, her eyes are like sauce. I said, come on out here. And Lance, I think Lance had had a few beers. He was already got out and sang, you know, with me and got on my mic and stuff. But she was like, <laughs> I could deer in the headlights. Oh, she, it was, the crowd it, must have gone nuts. It was, it was crazy, man. 90,000. And they had, Davide, you can explain how they they time delay those speakers. So you, I mean, oh, yeah. this is all down the main drag. You know, these speakers are, are like for my, you can't see the end of the people. Yeah. So that that that's one of them that sticks oh, out. Like, you know, it was real fun and just the everybody was so high from Lance. You know, beating that record. You know, when so. we come back, Billy, uh, Grammy Hall of Fame. Uh, is where you are as a result of the Blood on the Tracks album. And I want to ask you, if you don't mind, a little bit about that session and how that all happens. Yeah, so, no problem. Yeah, you know, with Bob Dylan. And, and some, I mean, I, I, we've seen it before on some of the history, or the history comes out in Rolling Stone of the top 100 songs, for example. Tangle Up and Blues showing up there in the top 50. I've seen that before, probably still is there for all I know. Blood on the Tracks comes up as maybe one of the best albums of all time. Uh, Billy was on that, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Hey, our thanks to Star Bank, and if you're hoping to expand your business or do some repairs uh, coming up here this fall or winter, Star Bank's there. They're local. They're Minnesotans. They've been around a long time. Family-run. Still is family-run. Uh, they've been, uh, Now it's expanded, obviously, to 10 locations, including right here in the Twin City Metro. But uh, turnaround time's on a loan at Star Bank. Uh, second to none. Not a lot of red tape, to be honest about it, and no monkey business. So once you apply for a loan and submit your documentation, it moves along pretty fast. Uh, they're Minnesotans. They get it. Home equity line of credit, home mortgage, business loan, ag operating, equipment loan. What it is that you need, I don't know, but uh, I, I, I guarantee you they've probably handled it before. And they're great people to go over and visit with, frankly. But you can do a lot of that online now, right? But they still answer the phone. They still have a real person who picks up the phone. That might throw you for a loop in this day and age. Uh, they have people in the office that they will remember you. I, uh, I'm pretty sure you're going to remember them as well. So it's kind of it's kind of weird that that's old-fashioned service, but it's what you love. All of us love that kind of attention. Star Bank's good. So good that they're our bank here at TalkNorth.com, I might add, as well. So get over and get to know them and, and call your local Star Bank today and say, hey, Dave says you answer the phone live. I'm going to find out about that. Do it at your convenience. You can do everything online, of course, with the high tech and the app and all that. They have all of that stuff. 
Uh, loans are subject to a loan application approval. Starbank.net. They're a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender, and they're really good at what they do. Speaking of that, so is Billy Peterson as a musician. Played with a lot of people. Billy, uh, one of the great stories is what happened with Blood on the Tracks and how uh, you played on that album, that one of the all-time great albums, with Bob Dylan. But before we talk about that album, your moms, Dylan's mom and your mom knew each other. They did. And we were doing a little homework uh, trying to uncover this. Uh, they were in an organization organization back in the 50s and 60s called WAMA, W-A-M-M-A. And actually, we just called my sister Patty to find out what that was. And Davide, what does it stand for? It was uh, Women of Auxiliary... Women's, I, I can get this for you. Yes. Okay, Women's <laughs> Auxiliary of the Minneapolis Musicians Association. That's correct. And and uh, Dolores were, Del Rey apparently was Dolores in Del Rey. And you know that was, name. Was a great uh, keyboard play, player. She actually played B3 and she would do gigs around. Dolores Del Rey. Howie Foss was her drummer. Maybe some of you will remember those names. And uh, and they played the Gollywog Lounge. The Golly, you where you where was that? the Gollywog? Did, the did Sheraton say, Ritz. Oh, the Sheraton Ritz. Gollywog Lounge was a, was a jazz room at the Sheraton Ritz. And uh, as you found out, I think... Uh, they they would come in there and do and, and it was a it was a charitable organization right Wama, yeah yeah I think they did help raise funds for disadvantaged youth and music yeah and, it was yeah. a great thing and I never knew what it was I just knew you know my mother would have these luncheons and Mrs Dylan would be over at the house and they're probably talking about the boys you know hey your boy's doing pretty good yeah <laughs> you know yeah he's the biggest pop star in the world you know <laughs> i heard billy's doing pretty good too you know <laughs> that's crazy so the moms knew each other and mrs zimmerman i suppose right yes but and uh and she was really good friends and patty knew her i think better than i did but yeah. I, I just remember her being over at my house and all these they used to have a luncheon yeah. this mama and they do these charitable things to raise raise money so and years later you're playing with their son yeah, then, on what would be one of the best albums of all time well who would have yeah how do you make that up you know you you can't plan on i mean bob in those days was already a megastar he yeah. was like the beatles i mean they they had made him the spokesperson for the vietnam war and which he never wanted a piece no. of you know and they wanted, the beatles he, wanted to meet him remember that they, sure oh you know. man he so you know, I mean, how I got to do that regular, was that what you were going to ask me? How, how yeah, did well, I you just get... roll, Billy. I'm just I'm tugging at the hem of your garment, <laughs> just, man. Well, uh, okay, we were talking about David Zimmerman, okay? Yep. David Zimmerman is Bob's younger brother, okay? Bob Dylan's younger brother. And David Zimmerman is a musician and a good musician, and he used to call me to, he used to produce demos and commercials, or he'd be producing a record for a singer or do something, but he would hire me, and he'd just say, hey, Billy, come on down to the studio tomorrow, I got a session, you know, and I lived, uh, I lived in Richfield at the time, so the studio was uh, on 27th and 27th Sound 80 recording studios, right, where Dylan did that record, so I'd just come down, and I'd meet David, and I'd jump he wouldn't even tell me what it is I, I, you know he said come on come on down you know and he'd, okay what time you want me down there you know because i i i had my my kids and stuff i had to you know my wife was working i come on down one o'clock so I, I come down do his recording saying blah 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 you know knock it out in a couple hours and then he'd have what he wanted and what he was hired to do well this went on for years i, I was working for him 
probably two or three years before Blood on the Tracks, early 70s, you know. And so one day, you know, he calls me, okay, come on down to the studio. <laughs> so I'm doing the same thing. Okay, what time do you want me there? Well, come on down in the afternoon. So I come down in the afternoon. I got my upright uh, bass. I'm hauling that. And then my bass guitar. on. I don't know what he wants me to do because he'd have me, he produced all these different kinds of uh, people, right? So I was just ready, you know, gunslinging and ready. <laughs> so I, I go in, in through the door at Sound 80 into the main room, you know, kind of a, probably, I, you know, out working the night before. Maybe it, was a, it wasn't that early, I don't think, when we met that day. But uh, I walk through the door and all of a sudden I, I look and I see Bob in the studio. I'm gone. <laughs> so I, I, I go... I, so I back out with all my stuff, and, it, and I'll never forget it. Uh, Davis, <laughs> Davis, sitting right here like this. I said, "Dave, that's not you in the studio. That's your super famous brother, man." <laughs> I said, "What the hell are we doing here?" He said, "Come here." I couldn't tell you. He says, "If you know, if they knew he was here, he's like Elvis, you know." And, and I said, "I said what?" He said, yeah, here's what's going on. <laughs> so no, none of us knew that he, because, I mean, if we'd have opened our mind, it would have been chaos, right? Yeah. So, so here we are in the middle of the dead winter at the recording studio. And I, 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 I give David the run. I said, Dave, what are we doing? And, you know, so I got an attitude. He says, well, we're going to recut some of his stuff, right? And I'm going, yeah, this is going to live. Sure, you know. <laughs> I said, how did, he, so he got all, all these guys that, that David had hired before, you know, who are on the record with us, you know. Uh, so we're all in the studio together and we're all asking the same question, what's going on? <laughs> well, here's what happened to David says We, you know, Bob doesn't, he likes half the record, but he doesn't like half the record. And, he, I, and I told him to come home for, you know, Hanukkah or holidays or whatever. And we try it, you know, in the recording studio. So we started out slow. We, 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 I, I said, you know, I'm going. Yeah, right. This is gonna be this 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 is gonna work. So here we are, man. The first I can't remember the first tune we did. I, I, uh, it's it's in the book though, and I, I can't you know the sequence se sequence of how we recorded them is kind of a blur. What day we did what, but those guys all remembered it good, and it's in, in the new book coming out. Uh, that's already out, by the way. You guys, it is me. out. Yeah, yeah, we we had Rick. Chef check, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Anyway, so back to the story. So we did one song, and I, again, I can't remember if it tangled up and was it tangled up in blue? Might have been. But uh, you history of buffs will correct me on that, I'm sure. But, well, here's Tangled Up in Blue. Uh, we, 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 we cut the song, and... Uh, and we, we got done with it, and it, it was, you know, we, these guys were really good music. Bill Berg, who who was a jazz musician, we're all jazz at heart. And I think Dylan liked that, the fact that he he never had an attitude with us in the session. He was, like, open, like a little – he because I think his mom said, Gee, this is Jeannie's son or something <laughs> went on. Something had to go on. Cause he, Moms you heard have him, power, yeah. Yeah, you heard horror stories about him in the studio with the musicians, you know, and I'm going – I'm just going. He's he's under the gun, man. He's got to get this stuff done. He's yeah. got five hundred thousand record jackets printed, and now he's he's in his, the release date is in, in a week, and he's still cutting. You know, <laughs> I'm going. Oh well, maybe this stuff will. It's got a chance. It's, he's under the gun to get this done, right? So he lo he loved the first record. We cut "Tangled Up in Blue," and 
little bit of a, a tip. Paul Martinson, the engineer on that, who I, we all worked with uh, immensely, and, and David Zimmerman loved Paul, and Paul was a beautiful cat and a, and a great engineer. So Dylan, we, we used to do things, and uh, you guys will know that out in listening land here, they, they were called uh, safety masters. When you know we'd go to to sixteen track tape, I don't know if it was tw- was twenty four out and seventy four probably not. I think it was sixteen tracks, right? But we used to do a thing called safety masters, where the engineer would would uh, do a mix, and I think he's Davide's probably still does this, you know, just go because to remember where we were at, you know, yeah, like a feathers up mix. Yep, yep, and and flying on the yep. run when when the performance was going on because they they had it on multi track, but but a great engineer like. Davide and these guys, especially in the old school days, would mix on the fly, yep. you know? And uh, so anyway, uh, the, the, the song we cut the first day, I think it was Tangled Up in Blue, and uh, Dylan came back later on, I'll tell you this story later, tried to remix this stuff, and he couldn't get it as good as, as, as uh, uh, Paul Martinson's uh, Safety Master mix. So it's the safety, what do they call it? Yeah, Safety Master mm-hmm. that... that he ended up using. That's wow. what, what you hear. That's mixed live to two track right there, baby. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that much anymore. Did you, you know? guys change anything on the song? Or? No, I think I think that one went down all the way. But you guys I, did not hear his previous versions, right? No, you didn't hear anything. We didn't want. To, I don't think he wanted us to. And and do you guys like? Uh, here's the charts. Play it. Well, well, geez, and then well, we're playing <laughs> Tangled Up in Blue, and then. Kevin Odegaard says, man, so Dylan, we start playing. He says, so Odegaard says, and Dylan's looking for input, man. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he, he needs to get this stuff done good. <laughs> so, so Kevin looks over and he says, man, I think it's the wrong key. I think we got to change the key. So I'm going, oh, shit, we're going to be fired now for sure. <laughs> you know? And Dylan goes, yeah, I think you're right. Let's try it. So we say, and then, and then so... In the song, Davide, you know, this is for you musicians. So there was a chord that it wasn't originally in the key of G. And so we we changed it to key of A. So I, I think Dylan played it open, but the, the the other two guitar players capoed up. And I was, you know, me, I'm playing the bass, so I, I don't care. You know, I, I can <laughs> play it. So I uh, I make the, the song in the key of, of G went to G to F, but I hung on to the G. And when we changed keys... You'll hear it in the in the song, and and uh, so I play this A early one morning. The sun would set. Well, I did. I played it I, when he made the change to the G, so it would be A to G, right? I stayed on A, so I made it a suspension chord where it kind of feels like it's. Flo- I call it the floating chord, you know. And it and Dylan said, "Gee, I like that chord you're playing there." I said, "I'm not. I didn't change." I said, "You changed," you know. He played the G. I just stayed home, you know. Yep. So you'll hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm making. And he wasn't a suspension kind of a guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he was hardcore, you know. Yep. And so, I think that was one of the first, you know. And that was the jazz. I just said, "It sounds cool, man," you know, just to keep it like floating around. He's talk, talking all this story, so actually, you know, all the horror stories that I'd heard about Dylan and all of us had in the studio were not even apparent, man. He was mm. like, I remember Jake, Jacob Dylan was running around the studio. He was three or four years old and coming in, you know, and, and Bob was with him. And it was like this big family affair, man, you know? So it, w- it was actually fun. 
I well, it wasn't. We were working, right? But it was cool. There yeah. was no vibe going on. You know, the only vibe that was going on is like input and Dylan listening to all this these guys that 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 uh, David had hired. Right? He Dylan's going. He doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know us from Adam. I think. I think his. He. I think probably David told. Uh, uh, um, Bob, that uh, Jeannie was my mom, and she knew Bob's. Jeannie knew Bob's mom through Wama, like Wama, like we talked about. And so there was maybe he said, "Hey, these guys can play, man. That's you know Jeannie's kid." I don't know, but there was none, nothing, no animosity, no everything was real cool. He was cool, man. You know, and all those horror stories were nothing. Did you have any idea of how massive? What you were doing was going to be. I mean, did you when after you got with Tangle Blue, you go, wow, that song. Well, I for for one thing, I thought this would wouldn't fly at all, man. You know, I mean, I'm going, geez, here I'm sitting with the biggest star in the world in a recording studio in the middle of thirty below outside, and who would have think how thunk, right? So all of us were thinking the same thing, and you know, Greg and Hoffer and and Kevin and and all these guys, you know, uh, Peter Strusko. Wonderful musicians on this record, and we—I we, I still think it's not going to make it. It's going to hit the, you know. Well, okay, day one goes by, and I think we hit Tangle Up and Blue. But when we got done with Tangle Up and Blue, we kind kind of went, man, that was cool. And Dylan sang his ass off, you know, on on this. He was just not a lead, not a not nothing in the studio. He's in performance level. He, he's from. I'm, he's from me to here. We're all in one room together, right? He's got no lyrics. He's singing his ass off, right? And, and playing. And uh, that's how that went down the first day. The next day, he said, man, I, so we get to call the next day. Um, and the guys know the story a little better than me, but we, we get come back the next day because he dug what he heard, right? So he played playback, playback. Hmm, yeah, let's do another one. So this happened between Christmas and New Year's in 1974, and there was three days, and I can't remember exactly, 28, 29, 30, something like that of December, and it's freaking cold out. It's a, it's a Minneapolis winter, Minnesota <laughs> it's winter. It's a real winter. Yeah, yeah. it's a real winter, yeah. <laughs> and so it went on, went on, and I'll never forget, Dave comes out, and we're, we're in the studio, and we, we do, uh, uh, there's a cut on uh, that record, uh, Blood on the Tracks, called... Um, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Well, so, <laughs> so I'm sitting down in the studio with Bob, and we're all in the same place. And Dave pokes his head out the window. He says, "He says, Billy, he says, just keep playing. When you think this song is done, it's not done, man. You know, just keep playing." And that that was the direction that I got for the song. He, <laughs> that was that was his producing. You know, then, then he went and had a cup of coffee or whatever. You know, I said, oh, "Okay, I'll keep playing with Bob." You know. So you think, you know, it's this is a whole saga. This Lily and Rose. If, if, I don't know if you heard the cut, and it goes on for seven, eight minutes, and it's a story that is this convoluted. And again, not one lyric sheet, and he's everything is. He's, I'm going, how does this cat remember all wow. this shit? You know, it's yeah. it was amazing to watch him perform on that level. You know what? And we're all kids then. At twenty, I was twenty-two. He's thirty-two or something, right? What happened to that guitar you used on those sessions? You still have it? So, uh, no. Uh, I played a Fender Jazz bass, I think, on, on uh, 
Oh, I'd have to. I can't remember. I did, I got rid of. It. I you know it, it wasn't important. Like, ooh, like like Ben Sidron always says. He said, "Let history decide. You just go do what you do and see. Let let it fall into place. Let history decide." So that's what I did, and I didn't think of all that stuff how valuable that would be. No, as collector, you know, like yeah. And back that time, collecting was. I, I don't think it was it at the a level it's yeah. at now. Yeah. yeah. So that's how that went. And those three days that we all recorded kind of took on a, a, a life of its own and Dylan felt real comfortable with us. And so you'll hear like, if you see, see her help, say hello, well, I'll never forget. I see, I had to go to a, a, a I was playing at this club called, uh, uh, it was in the lumber exchange building and it was called the Longhorn. And the Longhorn was a jazz club and it broke punk music worldwide in the seventies. So I'm playing in this jazz club and, and, and Dylan, I, I said, Bob, I gotta go, man. You know, I can't hang him. And then he said, God, I wish I could come down there with it. Cause he had hung in the village forever with jazz musicians, you know, uh, Mingus Hollow's cats, you know, knew him. And he went, I said, you can't come down there, man. You, you, you won't, you know, everybody knows. <laughs> I remember saying that. And <laughs> so I said, I took off and then the guys like, he said, "Wow, we said come to hear you, man, at the club. What are you doing, you know." It's, I, you know, I was going, "Oh boy, here we go." And so they stayed back and they cut. Um, if you could, if you see her, say hello. Without me, there's no bass on that. That's when I went down oh. to the Longhorn. Yeah. Wow. True and, story. But that this is all. I think there was five, four, four tracks cut here. Or five. I, again, you know, I'd have to read the book to remember five. Thanks, Davide. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and recognition came years later. Uh, for you, for the musicians. Uh, well, yeah, and what happened with that, again, remember I, I said Columbia Records, This when Dylan released something, man, it was like, it just flew like hotcakes off the table in those days, you know? And, and I mean, he had, he had had Blonde on Blonde, all those records in the 60s that were huge hits, man. So this kind of put him back on on top of his game why who would have thunk history decided not me it was just what we cut those three days in in december you know and uh it it came out and we had to get these records the discs in five hundred thousand record jackets that were flying off the table you know in in two weeks the release date was already done and so he i think this this perfect snowstorm or perfect and it wouldn't be you know a perfect storm been a snowstorm it was all this stuff that he needed to get done his respect level for the cats that his brother uh david brought into this recording session right and so the, it was this and all of a sudden stuff started working you know and he was happy and that's how it it took on a life of its own for for those three days yeah and just and who would have thunk and you, you end know. up in the grammy hall of fame yeah, right. You can really plan on that one, right, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's that's uh, uh, great rock and roll history, right there, Billy. Hang on, uh, before I let you go, a couple of things I want to I'm going to ask you about. If you had to put a concert together, what three artists you would have on the stage that <laughs> night? That's a tough one for you to come up with, I'm sure, alive or dead. I also want to ask you about playing with Les Paul mm -hmm. and people like that. I mean, it's an amazing 
amazing resume this guy has. We'll talk more about it in just a minute, and then we'll close it out here on my first concert. But it's, this is fascinating stuff. It's great to have you with. Uh, you know what's fascinating as well is the great work they're doing over there at Aquarius Home Services. And we're in the AquariusHomeServices.com studios. And I know we get overwhelmed this time of year by the growing to-do list. I can speak from experience on that. And a shrinking schedule to get it done, right? Spending a little more time stressing over our household repairs and really enjoying our lives sometimes. But you're not alone on that. And Aquarius Home Services really does have your back. They're your trusted local, let us tackle your to-do list team. And I know that from experience, gosh, over two decades, I've worked with Jeff and his staff over at Aquarius. They're there to assist. So it's your furnace, maybe, your electrical work, maybe, your plumbing, maybe, whatever's giving you trouble, you choose a service, they'll handle that and take $98 off the repair cost as we speak. That's right, for any furnace, plumbing, or electrical repair right now, they're slashing 98 bucks from the price. So watch your to-do list shrink while you reclaim your time and no more worrying about flickering lights or leaky toilets or noisy furnaces. Their dedicated professionals respect your home and your time. And you'll find that out from the time they ask you if it's okay if they park their van in a certain spot to when they leave. They're great. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. And just check them out. Find out more. They're awesome. I've used them many, many, many times. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. They come in each year and do the... Uh, inspection on the furnace or the air conditioning or whatever the water by the way the systems they have are second and none they're outstanding as well with uh, their Connecticut water AquariusHomeServices.com. uh billy uh so getting back to guitars now do you have what guitar do you have a favorite uh a guitar that i play well i i have a an old p bass if they want that sound there's you know you're talking about electric bass yes now. yeah yeah like electric guitar um I have a custom guitar uh, that's made by a wonderful uh, uh, Greg Nelson up in Duluth that's made for me, G.A. Nelson Guitars, and I've been playing his stuff, and my family's been playing his stuff for years. Paul has like two of them right there. Right there on the wall, Paul. Right we were there. sitting in Paul's studio and my brother Ricky's studio, and yeah, he's got two of them on the wall, and so he, uh, that's my go-to instrument now, Dave, but uh, some, sometimes people like that old that old sound that fender precision that old motown you know all that that old sound so uh as a matter of fact when we went back and we recut the greatest hits uh um we 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 i used it an old uh 68p bass and all that stuff you know steve wanted to recut the hits with the new band which aren't aren't on the old capital ones but he's he's <laughs> you know he wanted to do it because i think he could do something with it so we went and and uh i i, I cut all those old uh those uh, hits from the greatest hits on uh, that 68P bass. You played with Les Paul? I did. Wow. I played with but Les Paul. But you didn't play a Les Paul. I, I did play a Les okay. Paul bass in the early days. Jimmy Johnson, who is a uh, uh, musical director for James Taylor and a wonderful friend of mine, and his family is uh, great musicians. His father was a great uh, a symphonic bass player, Cliff Johnson, and uh, his brother, uh, Gordy Johnson, great bass player. So this is a family. Thelma, the mother, great piano player, friend of, of uh, I think she might have been in Wama too. <laughs> I'm sure she was with Dolores Del Rey and my mother. And... Uh, Anyway, uh, where you asked me some point in the question, I can't remember. I'm I'm going off. Oh, just playing with Les Paul. Oh, the Les Paul, yeah. So we actually bought Les Paul recording basses when they came out, and we can check the dates on that. It had to be seventy seven, eight, something like that. So we did play those, and they they recorded brilliantly. They were great instruments. So we did have 
one time I played a Les Paul, and that was a bass because I can't play guitar. I'm not like Paul. He plays a heck out of guitar and the bass. I can't play guitar at all. A couple chords. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so by Dave, when he says a couple chords. Yeah, yeah, I know better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can play a couple chords. That would be ugly if that happened here. But, um, so, and in uh, uh, one of my, a song that I loved was a version of Leo Kotke's I'm the Guy That Almost Married Pretty Pamela Brown. Mm hmm. You played with Leo too, right? I did. Uh, right, actually, we cut a record with Leo Kotke called um, Oh, what was that old? Well, the first one we cut right before Dylan, Bill Berg and I were in the rhythm section with the Ice Water. I think it's Ice Water. And Pamela Brown was actually cut with a, a different set of musicians. That was cut before I started working with uh, Leo. And I, but I, I played on four or five records and I produced a record for Leo in 1990 uh, called uh, That's What and Leo and I are, are good friends to this day you know and he always liked the jazz guys and now his producer you know wanted him to do a record with jazz flavored guys so Leo just recorded with Dave King the great drummer from town here that's uh, recognized all over the world as one of the great drummers so leo and dave got a project that just came out and i always thought leo was you know, the way he played was so avant-garde so out man it's his own thing man you know and so he sounded great with, with guys that knew jazz and now his i think his producer is, is real happy that he went out with dave king and did this new record so a lot of uh, carlos santana Santana, I worked with uh, at Earth Day um, in 93. Jeez, I, uh, oh, there was so many guys on that show. Uh, Earth Day or was it Earthquake Relief? When, the, when was the earthquake in, in San Francisco? World Series? World Series, Oakland and the Giants, wasn't it? Yeah, what year was that? Oh, my. Kinsenko was playing, I know that. It could have been probably, Earth, Terry Steinbach was probably playing Steinbach. In that one. Yeah, it yeah. could have been Earthquake Relief or mm. it was um, Earth Day. I can't I can't remember which we always would get. But anyway, I yeah I played with Neil Young was there that day. Carlos My. Santana. Uh, we we played with. It was like a who's who of rock stars, you know, raising money for uh, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that cheer that that event was that day. Steve Miller, of course, and then. Uh, uh, you asked about Les Paul. Uh, uh, we played Les Paul's 90th birthday party at Carnegie Hall. Mm. So I've still got paraphernalia left over from that, you know, laminates and stuff. Cause, oh, boy. Because Les was a great friend of Steve's father. And mm. Les Paul would come through town when Steve was a little boy, you know, and I think it was Chicago or Dallas. And he would bring recording uh, equipment. Uh, Steve's uh, father would bring recording equipment to Les's gigs and record them. And so Steve and Les were real good friends. So later on, uh, when we traveled to New York, uh, uh, Les would have us come and play with him at the Iridium. And I think he had a lot of guest uh, stars come and play with him. So, Did you yeah, have yeah. a favorite arena you played in, sound-wise, acoustically-wise? Or I got I got the, the worst one I've ever played. You want to hear that? Yeah, story? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're we're playing at that Houston Astrodome. We're I think the twins are playing there Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's we're playing. There's there's a rodeo that goes on there. That's huge. It goes on every year. It's the world's biggest rodeo. So we're Steve's contracted to play out there, but they stick the band out in the middle of the baseball field, right? That's like the Beatles when they came to the Metrodome, you know, back or not the Metrodome, Metropolitan Stadium back back in '64. 
So we're sitting out in the middle, and there's you can't see any of the people, but there's 50,000 people up in the <laughs> stands. You know, All you see is lights and you, you, these cameramen, you know, sitting on the camera shooting you like that. And so, you know, you, I think I should have got the Oscar for acting how much fun I was having at that gig, man. You can't see anything. It's You can't see anybody. You can't hear. We're in the ear monitors. You can't hear any crowd noise, you know, and you... And you're playing, though. What are you playing through? You know, it's like, but we're, then we're on these jumbotrons and this, and we're turning around in a circle like this in the middle. The whole stage is yeah. rotating, you know, and you can't hear no crowd noise, not nothing. And there's fifty thousand people. It's like you're in a, it's like you're in here and trying to have a good time, you know. And, and lights blind. I'll never forget that show. We we still talk about it. Kenny Lee and I said that's the weirdest show I've ever heard, man. Speaking, or done. You know. Speaking of that, like uh, having uh, audience in your in ear monitor, Steve Steve Weiss yeah. was was uh, telling me like. Uh, I think he mixed that. He might have mixed that show. Yeah, he normally would feed. Yeah. The audience into your in ear monitor. So Just so why we, would they? Why would they need that? So they needed that to to. To make them feel like they're playing live, otherwise it's, <laughs> it's just like you're playing, and you know you can't hear anything, and it's yeah. you, you, you got in your molds of your inner ear, and you cram these things in your right. ear, and you can't hear any crowd, and the crowd was screaming, you know, yeah. but you can't yeah. <laughs> can't see them, can't hear them, and you're on a jumbotron, you know, and you're going around in a freaking circle like this, you know. Oh boy! So that 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 was the the funniest. I, I, like, just I left there just scratching my head that show. But so, the most beautiful venues I've played, I think, are Red Rocks, Colorado. Oh boy! And, yeah. and the, the Gorge at George Washington out there at the Columbia River Gorge is beautiful. I played there a lot. Um, you know those those two stand out for me throughout the all the years I toured, and uh, it's just. Be gorgeous. You, you you see the Columbia River Gorge, you know. And, yeah. uh, I always like playing the Dead Stadium too uh, at Shoreline. Uh, had a vibe there, man. The Grateful Dead used to play there all the time, and we toured with the Dead, you know, with Steve Miller back in '91 or two, something mm -hmm. like that. And that uh, had to be interesting. That, they were huge. It was unbelievable. I think we played Soldier Field in Chicago, like four or five nights. They sold out. It, it was wow. It was insane. You know, the amount of people that were coming out. It was, I mean, I'll never forget our tour guide. They used to spray acid in the air with a squirt bottle. And he got hit in the eye. And he was incapacitated for about three days. He, oh. make, he went out in the audience. Oh, <laughs> Another little story. I can't make that up because I remember it, right? <laughs> so if you had to put together a concert, Billy, this is tough for you. Um, and you had three acts that were going to be on the stage. Uh, three? Yeah, let's say you had to narrow it to three. A what lot, genre of music? It, whatever you, whatever ooh, you show, you would I, set up. Ooh. It's totally up to you. It could be people you haven't seen or people you have seen or played with well, or whatever. I tell you, when... when it, this is tough because you're going to drive away going, ah, I should have said this or I should have said that. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell, I'll, I'll tell you who I did see several a lot of times was Miles Davis, and that was always real interesting, you know. Um, there used to be a concert series, Dave, maybe you remember this way back at the Guthrie Theater before they changed locations. Um, they'd have a jazz series, and my dad... 
he would let me take his car when he, I was 16 because I was already playing in bands and I needed to have my own transportation. And he bought me this series of, of concerts. And I think I was 16 and I, that was 66 or 67. And train, Coltrane had come in 65. And a lot of my friends had seen him. Jay Epstein, the great drummer, went and saw him. Like my cousin Tommy, I, I would have loved to see Coltrane live. I, I just, I never saw him live. He passed in 67 and I was 16 when he passed, you know. So that's one I'd like to see. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see, you know. Because, um, uh, you know, you you uh, you listen to people that have, have heard trying to change them, you know. So that's one. I did see Biles. Now, um, the one that I haven't seen, you say, so I, I train number one would be John Coltrane. I, I wish I could have seen him. Uh, let's see, number two that I didn't see, right? Um, um, or that uh, you could have seen. You could have seen them, but... Like, well, I you, could have. I would have been just you're, a... You're booking the show, though. This is your... Oh, this I'm is, booking, okay. But you said they could be dead or alive. Right, so Coltrane's well, on I, your I, list. I, I, yeah, he'd be the closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd say we'd, we'd have... Uh, Let's get would get Miles and Train on the same and uh, and then uh, just to break it up, uh, you know, uh, something that I'm I it, it's in the wind and I'm hope hopefully hopefully it'll happen. Um, I don't know. I can't I can't talk about, it, but there's something huge that I want to do, and it's it's a person that that uh, is a, a real good friend of my, our families and and still alive and an unbelievable performer that uh, we possibly might do a record together with one of the greatest drummers in the world so i, I it'd be a trio record so mm. I, but i i i don't want to say it out okay. loud because i don't want to jinx it man yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. well if we we just want to be on the pass list really <laughs> <laughs> we just want to be on that pass list but uh, you know those uh, those guys were so influential in my yeah. life you know yeah. i mean um so what know, have we co- left out have we left anything else at oh all my now? gosh uh well, you you know, we, we, um, who are you touring with right now? Hmm? Who are you touring with right now? Oh, right. Who am I touring with? Ben Sidron still. Ben, oh, still yeah, ben. I just uh, I was over in Europe with Ben, and we just we played the Green Mill in Chicago, and so that's that's all upright stuff, yep. you know, jazz yep. stuff mm-hmm. with Ben, uh, and uh, uh, just doing a lot of different different things, playing in different people's projects, you know, uh, uh, doing a lot with. Uh, when I can, our family and stuff, we all kind of got all of our different facets going on. Patty does her thing. Paul does his The Prince thing all over the, the country. <laughs> Ricky's out with Stevie Nicks right now, and he's he's coming back on Sunday. David, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all doing different different things, but we, we really like to play in a, you know, like at holidays with our, we make time out of our schedules to play with the family band. So we've, that's one thing I enjoy doing now. Yeah. You know, and I I don't I don't miss the road being on the road. I miss the people though, you know that did you come? <laughs> sure. I miss the hang with the people. It's all about the hang, you know. So you know you're playing the same songs. You know, take the money, run the joker, and all those are fine. But what you what I really miss is being able to. And Steve was really good with comp tickets. He let us have a bunch of comps everywhere we went. Ah, yeah, get your friends. Come on, you know. Nice. He was really nice to us with that, man. And so we'd we'd have like a big party every night with people you haven't seen every major city. <laughs> so it was awesome, you know. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, Billy, it's great to have you in. 
uh, chat about all these things. I really appreciate your time, uh, and uh, I'm sure everybody that uses you. I know Dylan probably appreciated your time too. And you, <laughs> we probably does now that he's in the Grammy Hall of Fame. But, but I don't know. He's so he he doesn't equate to that man. You know? Did, did you hear the story about when he he got the, the, the was it the oh the, the Nobel? Yeah, the Nobel. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't find him. You know. Now this is my that's a that's a hero in my book, man. Yeah. He won't even come out for that. You know. Yeah. Oh well, but you know. He's, he's a wild, wild guy, man. He's outside of the box thinker, that's for sure. Yeah. And also the induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't think His they speech. could find him either. <laughs> <laughs> the record. <laughs> he's all working, that, isn't he? I mean, he's still doing a ton He's of out days. there, man. He, 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 he's out there and he's sounding good, yeah. man. He's 82 years old. He's still... Still at it, man. You ever you ever talked to him since you've done all this? He's things? he's he showed up. Um, I think up in Duluth one time, but I, but I never talked to him. They they saw some people saw him, and they they wouldn't bug him. He had a grandkid with him or something. Sure, yeah. you know. And uh, mm. you know when those you just don't want to go up. What do you say? You know, you yeah. heard it a million times, and he's trying to. He's such a recluse anyway. You didn't yeah. want to hear about it, you know. Well, it's it's great having you, Billy. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to the next project. Is there a website people can go to find out where you're going to be? Yeah, uh, I think you can go to Peterson www.petersonbilly.com, and then you can see who I think I was in my misspent youth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he is Billy Peterson. Uh, Dave Lee here with Davide. And our thanks to uh, the Minnesota Propane Association for making this possible by Starbank.net, by UCare by Aquarius Home Services, and by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters. Davide, we will see you next week. In the meantime, go to Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com. We've got a lot of great podcasts there, wherever you get your podcasts, and download it. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week.